0: Thanks for tuning in to the Loser Kid Pinball Podcast. We are on episode number 35. With me, my co-captain as always. Scott Larson. Hey, Scott. Uh, let's do let's get some business out of the way really quick. We got some friends of the podcast that we want to shout out to first. Uh, flipping Out Pinball. If you're looking for those sweet pinball needs, uh, hit up Zach or his wonderful wife, Nicole Many, and they will help you out. Also, Brad Hunter of Lit Frames. I don't know if you listened to the most recent episode of Super Awesome Pinball Show, but they were talking up Brad and his sweet frames, and we uh, we agree. They're fantastic. So if you want to get one of those Franchi prints and put it in a lit frame, hit up Brad. So what are you up to, Scott?
1: Well, uh, I actually almost broke my leg off the other day by putting my uh, foot through a flatbed trailer when I was trying to load a bed up on it when we were trying to give it away. There was a hole in the bottom, and so thankfully, it was just a really bad bruise. I did not break my knee. I did not break my femur, and I did not break my tibia and fibula. So... I actually got out really lucky with just a bad bruise. Um, And also I bought a Simpsons four player arcade game. And if you have not seen one of those or imagined having one of those in your house, uh, I am surprised I did not bang up the walls getting it down because it is a beast. Just think of Wizard of Oz, but twice as big.
0: And you showed me the pictures of your leg, too, and it's it's insane. I I can't remember if you put it on your Facebook, but you got yeah, kind of ridiculed for that, too. So,
1: <laughs> you know, it's OK. It's OK. No good deed goes unpunished. Uh, have you been up to anything fun lately?
0: Um, I finally played pinball for the first time in like two weeks last night and I did really well. So that was nice. nice. Uh, we're almost closed on our house. We should be in it by the end of
1: the month. So, OK, yeah, I'm jealous that you actually have a walkout basement since I have the stairs of death.
0: Not only to one entry, but two entries to the basement, man. I can go okay. through the garage, or I can
1: go the back door. So. Yeah, I hit you so much right now. <laughs> let's bring the guest into this because he he has a little more experience with moving a few games because he does. He is involved just peripherally in a tiny, small, uh, fringe tournament. So let's bring him in. Uh, so we have today on the show Doug Polka. How are you doing today, Doug?
2: I'm doing good. How are you guys today?
1: <laughs> so let's give people a little bit of background on you. Um, you've been involved at least in, at least for over ten years in the Pittsburgh uh, competitive pinball scene. You have evolved into the director of Pinburg. You also have a uh, you're a co-owner of the Kickback Cafe, and you told me you operate sixty games throughout the city. And so that seems like a pretty impressive resume when it comes to pinball.
2: Uh, I I do my part. A lot of that stuff, it's funny because like the route and stuff, uh, that's not my full-time job. But like that basically came about because at the time I got into pinball and competitive pinball, like 2007, 2008, um, there were no games on route in the city of Pittsburgh. So basically one of the... uh, one of the gentlemen uh his name is Steve Zumoff owns a, owned a bunch of establishments on what's called the south side of pittsburgh it's like the the bar strip uh and he asked if i wanted to put some games in some of his places and did that and then it's just kind of expanded from there
1: so i and that seems really interesting i i want to talk a lot about the the routing and being able to find ways of getting pinball to the masses but first, uh, you, you did talk about it on Pinball Profile and anybody who's involved in Pinberg and Replay FX. Uh, you went through a basically a big decision this year, uh, which I think was heartbreaking for many. But it was, uh, I would argue, from a public health standpoint, I, I don't think you had any alternatives. Uh, why don't you talk about that and your decision to actually delay uh, Pinberg for this year until next year?
2: Yeah, so uh, if your listeners are new to what happened, we're basically uh, canceling ReplayFX slash Pinberg for this year. And we are going to reschedule for next year, obviously related to the uh, COVID-19 pandemic going around. Um, It basically came down to the fact that because of the stay-at-home orders in PA and everywhere, and I do understand why those are in place, I'm not complaining, we couldn't have any of the techs or anybody really at the facility preparing things for replay, you know, and want to start getting into, you know, two and a half, three months lost to this. Um, the decision was pretty much made for us so that we just weren't going to be able to be ready in time. And then it was just a matter of uh, Mark Steinman, who's the director of replay reaching out to all of our, you know, the convention center and the hotels and everybody we had contracts with and, coming to some sort of agreement with them to be able to effectively cancel this year and reschedule for next year.
0: That seems like a pretty tough decision to t- make too. I mean, we're still, you know, we're, we're the, not even the end of May yet. And, uh, it, it seems like it's getting more and more divisive on, you know, people should keep move on with their lives. And the other half are like, stay at home. So, uh, was it just because it, we're still kind of the state we're in that you guys were like, well, we're just going to call it quits for now. Or was it just, was there tension mounting from outside pressure, I guess, is to put it.
2: Oh, no, uh, nobody from, you know, outside. I, at least I haven't seen any, uh, pressure on us to do anything with it. Um, it was more or less of the, the time we lost in terms for preparation because replay and, and pinberg are very, very time intensive things to get ready for. Like when I tell people when replay, you know, for one year ends about a week later we start the preparations for the next replay. Like that's no exaggeration. Holy uh, and then, you know, like even up to last year we were, you know, the techs were working, you know, a couple weeks before the show, they were still getting games ready for the show. Uh, it's really labor intensive as far as getting the games ready and preparing. And quite frankly, we're a pretty small organization. Um, ReplayFX is run by the Replay Foundation, which is a nonprofit. And uh, we only have five five employees total um, and some other people that we contract when we get near the show. So it's a lot of work for, for a small group of people.
1: Okay. Yeah, and, and lead me through that. So you have uh, like exactly what is involved technically to actually get a game ready for, uh, for Pinberg – because you're dealing with the best players, and we've talked about this. The challenges with pinball, the better you are, the longer you play. And so you really have to set up a machine to increase the de- degree of increase the degree of difficulty, because otherwise you'll have someone playing on it for 30
2: minutes. Yeah. So Pinberg is kind of unique in the fact that so there was another event that we're bringing back next year, but we ran before Pemberg existed called the Papa World Championships. Um, the Papa World Championships, when you would come in, you would enter a division suited to where you thought your skill level was. So there was A Division, B Division, C Division. And the last year we ran it, there was a D Division. And you could, so the A Division games were insanely difficult, like set up as hard as you could perceivably set them up. Um B division not as much, C division not as much. With Pinburg, it's a little bit trickier to get them dialed in because number one, you're under time constraints. So when you come into Pinburg, you play a bank of four games, and those four games need to be done before the next round is scheduled to start. Otherwise, you're going to push everything back. Uh, and Pinburg, for as much as it is, you know, the biggest tournament in the world, and probably probably the most prominent. You know, I don't want to i don't want to step on anyone else's toes but like oh it's, don't be it's shy people, it, it,
0: it is the best tournament like
2: a lot of people <laughs> looking look forward to it every year I, I don't want to sell anyone else short though uh but the thing with pinberg is it's largely a casual tournament as well right so we last year we had a thousand people in there and of those thousand people you know how many of those are hardcore tournament players that travel to every tournament and you know want to get their butt kicked by a machine when they play it every time they play it probably not a lot no, <laughs> like no. people come you know part of pinberg is the is the is the social aspect of it and yeah everyone's there to compete and everyone's there to try and win because winning is obviously more fun than losing but at the same time our challenge as directors and my my associate TDs is to get the game set up to a point to where they're hard enough to challenge the good players and not let them play forever, uh, but easy enough so that everybody feels they had a fair shake at playing the game. So that's generally the, the difficult part about setting up the Penberg games. It's not just about making them as hard as you possibly can. It's about finding that good balance between playability and still making it kind of difficult
0: well that totally makes sense i mean you, you don't want people walking away from the tournament going like this was terrible like I, I hear a lot of people that go for the first time and and i can't even fathom because your first pinball tournament is you a know, papa is you know replay effects and whatnot and so but i, I think it's awesome because i feel like everyone that walks away from that tournament feels they weren't done wrong because the machines are set up so right for their skill level i don't, i don't think anyone else can say that it's amazing
2: yeah, and, and that's that's a testament to how much work, you know, it's and it's not just me, it's it's the whole team of tournament directors and the people that help us play test games and all that stuff put into put into getting those games as good as we can. There's always circumstances where people feel the game robbed them or whatever, and there are some games that we figure out a little late into the game that, oh, we set that up way too hard or we set that up way too easy. Uh, but one of the other nice things about Pinberg is the game doesn't necessarily have to stay set up the same way throughout the whole tournament because you're only playing against the people you're playing against for that one round. So if we do encounter a game that is playing exceptionally difficult, you know, that we didn't anticipate or a game that is playing exceptionally easy, we can always make adjustments in between rounds to that game as well.
1: Yeah, and that reminds me, uh, we talked to Bowen last year. And he had talked about uh, tournament pinball and his point was, I don't really care about the people who are winning because they're going to have a, you know, they're competitive players. They come to all these tournaments, uh, all the time. And so if it's plus or minus, they're going to roll with the punches just because they like, uh, competing. He's like, I'm worried about the person who is 999th on the list. Uh, out of a, a thousand because you still want them to enjoy their time playing, even if they are not up on stage.
2: Absolutely. A hundred percent. And I can tell you, we put as much thought into the lowest ranked player, having a good time as the, you know, as the Keith elwins of the world, having a good time. Uh, and th- and that's why also like, you know, we, we, you can 20% of the people that enter Pinburg win something, you know, we pay out 200 spots, uh, which is, you know, a lot <laughs> yeah. if you've been to any other tournament. Um, and it's all about, you know, when people come and spend their money and for something like Pinberg, you're you're also taking a chunk of people's time. Right. So you're taking Thursday, Friday and Saturday if they make the playoffs. So a lot of people are literally planning vacations around this event. Uh, and I just want to make sure that when you come in. You know, besides the tournament, you know, we also have everything else over in the show to offer. But I want to make sure that everybody feels like they got their money's worth for what they paid to enter, no matter where they finished, whether they finished, you know, first overall or one thousandth overall, they still had a good time.
1: Considering when you talked about uh, competitive pinball in pin in in Pittsburgh around Pittsburgh, you said there really wasn't much to play, so. Lead me through how did Pinberg become what it is? Because obviously you had Papa there. And so you had at least some sort of competitive pinball foundation, but it has exploded to a thousand spots or over a thousand spots. And you're still having more demand for it. So how did you build that scene if you didn't really have any place to play?
2: So it actually started... Uh, it was the brainchild of Bone and Cairns and Mark Steinman, Pinburg. Um, this this round of Pinberg. There were actually Pinbergs in Pittsburgh years ago that didn't run like this one did. So modern Pinberg, we'll call it. Uh, so we were running the Papa World Championships in Carnegie at the Papa facility there. And the basic thought was it would be, you know, because it was a big facility and it cost a lot of money just to keep there, why don't we use this collection again? And Mark and Bone put their heads together and came up with the with the mixed era match play format that we currently use for Pemberg, basically almost the same thing we're doing right now. A couple of things have changed. Uh, and immediately, you know, the first year it, it didn't sell out till I think a few weeks before the event and it was only maybe a hundred, 120 people. Uh, but every year since then, it seems like the sellouts just get quicker and quicker and quicker. And honestly, most of that is because of word of mouth. Like, the people really enjoy the match play format uh and the way the tournament is run we try and run it as professionally as possible so i think that adds to it as well and you know it just every year it just sells out quicker and quicker and quicker and it doesn't seem to doesn't really seem to matter how many spots we add or or uh or what we do to try and like oh maybe this will make a few people you know stay out of it or whatever um just the the demand for it is is unbelievable and we're really grateful for that
0: well that's got to put a smile on your face too i mean honestly that's awesome that you've added more and more spots every year and it's like it sells out faster and faster it's even got to the point where pinball media is talking about it like oh last year was 45 seconds this year it's like 15 seconds and and everyone's telling each other you know don't fret you can do this and that you know make sure you're on the waiting list and refresh at the the 15 minute mark it's like everyone's learned the konami code and they're like we've we've got to input this now so that way if you really want to get in you do this you know
2: yeah so it's just become uh it's it's a little bit of a pinball holiday almost the the most stressful day for some people is like the day that Pemberg tickets go on sale. Yeah. Uh, Because, you know, we hear both sides of it that day. We get the people that are super excited that they got in. And then we get the people that, you know, have been shut out because of the, the, uh, the unbelievable demand for it. When we started doing Pemberg at replay, we actually, that was the year we went to 600. And I remember I distinctly remember sitting down and having conversations with Bowen and Mark about like, how far do we think we could, you know, push this because we moved into the convention center. So space was no longer an issue. Uh, and I, I think Bowen was the first one to say, you know, this is going to hit a thousand people. And like, I was like, there's like nah, competitive pinball. Isn't that big. There's no way we're ever going to get a thousand people in there. So to, to hit that, milestone and actually see it sell out as fast as it did last year in 2018 when we went to a thousand people it was just it was you know like i said we're very grateful and it's it's flattering that so many people put their faith in our organization to run a high level tournament that they're going to come and spend their money and they're going to you know because most people are traveling they're going to spend that money to travel or whatever to come and enjoy something that we're doing
1: well i that is challenging though you have so many games and Uh, You mentioned last year on Buffalo, you said you have 600 games. Is that still about where you are?
2: So last year, I think at Replay, we had close to 700 total games. Uh, And that would, you know, because we get people locally that lend us games for the show. And, you know, Stern brought in a bunch of games last year for us. Um, Papa itself, the actual Replay Foundation, we own almost... I think we're just over 600. I think we just hit the 600 mark last year is the number of games that we actually own. I contribute a lot of my games to the show as well. Like anything that I don't have out on location goes to replay, sometimes in Pinburg, sometimes in the free play area. Uh, last year, I think after it was all said and done between all the games that we rotated in and out uh, off the show floor whatever, we used over 400 games in Pinburg alone.
1: So that actually begs the question, a lot of these games are they being played regularly? Because if they're at the if they're at your storage facility, um, if you're firing something on every six months or so, how do you know it's still going to keep playing?
2: So our techs basically, shortly after one replay ends, I develop the banks for the following year. So we'll shuffle the games around. We'll maybe try and include some games we couldn't include before. You know, trying to keep because to go into probably more detail than anybody wants to know Uh, once we get the game set at headquarters uh the techs will start going through them one by one uh and a few months after they start go going through them we start to hold basically playtesting sessions where we'll invite a bunch of people over we'll play um basically we'll do a strikes tournament there because that We can group people in four groups of four because like with the EMs, you need to make sure do the players kick over, do all the score reels work. And then the people that are come to the events, basically, as we're running the event, will come and tell me, well, you know, this light is burned out or this wasn't working or that wasn't working. And then we'll we'll compile a bunch of notes and then the text will go back and revisit those games. So they are sitting there, but they also get played. Uh, Another thing we do during that is we'll time each round and we'll time how long each game takes for like the groups to finish. And I actually have a spreadsheet with with four years of data for how games are set up and how long they'll play uh, so that when I create new banks, I can actually kind of judge how long that bank is going to play based on actual, you know, actual data I have as opposed to I don't think that's a long playing game or that's a long playing game. Um, so at this point, making the banks has become easier than it was when we first started doing it, just because I have the years and years of data now. Uh, but they, they sit there, but they also don't sit there. Is is That's a really long way to answer that really simple question.
1: <laughs> well, I, I think that makes sense because if, if I show up to Pittsburgh in January, I can't just call you up and say, Hey, uh, I want to go to Papa. You know, it, it, that that's just not really that type of, it's not like the, Um, you know, it's not like going to Logan's arcade or, or sunshine laundromat or something like that. It's, it's not right.
2: It's not, it's not a retail location. We do do rentals and there's a couple tournaments, uh, like New York city pinball championships Levy and his team leveraged us last year to bring a bunch of games up there. And we were going to do it this year, but sadly it was, it was canceled. Um, so we do some game rentals. Uh, we do, uh, game rentals around Christmas a lot for, businesses in the pittsburgh area the pittsburgh penguins rent games off of us for some of their theme nights uh so we do stuff like that as well but the games sit there but they still we we kind of make sure they all get played uh regularly
1: yeah well that's good it's like a car you have to you can't just let a car sit because otherwise it's not going to work uh what right if
2: we just pulled all the games out and brought them into the convention center and turned them on i can only imagine what a nightmare that would be what
1: what is your favorite bank of four that you have constructed?
2: Oh, God. I don't think I could even answer that. There's been so many. Um, every year. There has to be one I... that
1: you just laugh at, though. You're like, this is either this is hilarious or <laughs> this is awesome.
2: So Keith Elwin actually created a bank one year. Um, I think it was when we were doing, uh, was it our, might have been our Papa TV Kickstarter, something where you could basically... Pick your own bank of games with our approval, and I can't remember what Keith's games were like—Ready Aim Fire. Um, but it literally, he dragon. He picked like the worst games. He put together a bank that was literally like like the the least fun you could have playing pinball bank. Um, I try not to do that. I try and put at least a, a game or two in every bank that that people recognize. Uh, the the most fun I have is actually picking the games that will be on the final stage. Because every year we try and get together and pick one or two games that aren't really known in the community as being great games or great players or whatever, and you know showcase them, you know like Doodlebug or you know games like that, and then we like to watch the prices on Pinside go through the roof.
1: Right. Well, Andromeda was one of those where Andromeda, no, yeah, no one had heard Perfect. of it, and yeah. then it's like, oh, well, that's what I want to buy now.
2: Yeah that that's a that's a really good example of one. Alien Star was another one. We did that in one of the. Either one of the early Papas or one of the one of the Pinbergs, um, Mark picked up that game and he's like, "This game is is amazing." And then we put it in a finals bank, and then all of a sudden, everyone had to have an Alien Star, whereas like a month before, nobody even knew what it was.
1: Now you had to smile a little bit since last year you put the classic Jurassic Park on stage. <laughs>
2: Yeah, uh, that was, uh, I think that was Bowen's idea, actually. I think he said, Oh, let's do Jurassic Park. And I said, ah, That game's too new. I don't really trust it on the stage. We don't know, you know, we don't know if there's bugs or anything because that was it basically debuted at replay. Like oh, Stuart yeah. brought a bunch there. And I said, I don't really trust it to put, you know, that there isn't some kind of flaw. And then there's the, the competitive thing. Like, like it was the first anybody that had a chance to play it except for Keith Elwin and zach sharp and you know what if they end up on it then it seems like an unfair advantage but uh yeah i thought it was actually pretty funny he's like no no classic jurassic park and i'm like that is perfect
0: (laughs) well that's hilarious though because then keith went to indisc and got his butt handed to him on a jurassic park you know (laughs) so um but do you i mean bringing it up now you obviously with the game the way it is you're gonna have in the tournament aren't you
2: Oh, I love that game. That's one of the best releases uh, Sterns put out, maybe ever. Uh, I, I I don't like to speak in absolute terms, but I have. It's one of the few games when I step in to kick back. We actually have one there. I almost always play a couple games of Jurassic Park just because I, I just really enjoy that game. Oh, it's fantastic. <laughs>
1: yeah, I, I'm still waiting for uh, for things to loosen up a little bit, so they'll either make more, so I can get a hold of one. Or I can buy my friend's LE, which is uh, a mile away, but it's too far away. I need to have it in my house. Mm -hmm. So let's transition a little bit. Let's talk about Papa. You said that we talked about it before. You are bringing back the original, you know, the the Papa tournament, not the replay tournament, the Papa tournament. So uh, you're using similar games and you're having similar players who are going to be entering both of those. So... This is your high school essay. Compare and contrast. What is the difference between Papa and uh, Pinberg? And uh, give me why you should do one versus the other.
2: I would never. I'd never want to pick one baby over the other one. Uh, they're both very different, though. Obviously, Pinberg is match play. Everybody's playing at the same time. You're playing against three other people. So you're competing directly with other people. I think that's the biggest draw to that is like, you're only competing every round against the three people that are there competing against you. So it's very tangible how well you're doing. Uh, Papa is a ticket-based format, which people, you know, Papa has been gone for a few years because we put it on hiatus while we were trying to get replay effects off the ground, because that was a lot of work. Uh, And, a lot of people know the PAPA format, ticket format, as the in-disc format, because that's basically what in-disc does. So you basically, you get a ticket where you play five games, and then the sum of that ticket goes against everybody else. So it's a it tends to be a format that awards consistency versus like a best game format where you play one game and you can play it as many times as you want. And you just put your best score and that's the only one that counts. Uh, Where Papa is different than Replay beyond the obvious match play. Uh, There's generally a bank of, I think the last one we did had 12 games in the bank. We separate out the divisions. So like A, B, C, and D all have their own banks. So you're not playing the same games as the A players. B isn't playing the same games as the A players. So that's a little bit different than I think how Indisc does it. Um, But it's more of a... It's more, I think the qualifying is more of a battle against yourself than it necessarily is against everybody else, because it's being able to step up to a game and perform and put up a good score and then immediately do it again and then immediately do it again and then immediately do it again. Uh, Whereas Pinberg, you can, you know, you can have a bad game and you can still have a good record for that round. You can take a zero and still have a good record overall for that round, whereas in papa depending on which division you're playing in, if you're playing in a division and you put three bad games on your ticket that's not going to be your qualifying ticket it's just not going to have a high enough point total so they, they both have their their draws pinberg obviously is on a schedule so you have to be there at certain times Papa is more casual in the sense that you can kind of drift in and out as you want you can come in play a ticket then go do something else if you want so they're they're pretty different in terms of the format.
0: With it being canceled now, how can people get tickets for next year? Because obviously people were so excited for this year and they're already looking to 2021.
1: What can they do to uh, sustain a spot, I guess? And, and you're talking about Pinberg, right, Josh? Correct, yes.
2: So Pinburg, which is part of ReplayFX, um, you can go on the rebs- website, replayfx.org, and if you already have a ticket to Pinberg, you're already in for this year, uh, you don't have to do anything. If you want to come next year, your ticket is automatically going to transfer over. There is a form on that website if you want to cancel. like if the date change uh, doesn't work for you or maybe you're just in a different financial position than you were six months ago, which is entirely you know possible given what's going on, you can go and request a 100% refund. Uh, for i think another week or so is how long that's running for um and tickets are on sale our tickets aren't on sale for Pinnberg because pinberg obviously is sold out but you can go on there and join the waitlist uh, and as spots free up we basically contact the people on the waitlist to fill the tournament back up
1: okay uh and that sounds good the uh how long is the waitlist right now Do you know?
2: I honestly don't have the number that's on it uh, currently because I don't manage that part of the website. Um, I know it's at least two or 300 people because that's what it was a couple months ago. Uh, I would imagine it will grow a little bit too with the fact that, you know, there are going to be people that weren't going to go this year, but wanted to go next year. And obviously we're not going to be open selling tickets for next year. So they can, you know, jump on the wait list that way. Uh, we are looking at ways to see if we can possibly expand the field next year. Can't really promise anything. Like right now, the the biggest stressors on us right now are the games and the volunteers. We need to do it. So if there's a viable way that we can add people, we're going to try and add people. But we also want to be cognizant of the fact that, like, we don't want to ruin we don't want to ruin the experience of the tournament or, you know. At, you know cut 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 down on text or anything like that just because we can't find them but we wanted to increase the size of the tournament so your best bet right now is to get on the wait list because even if we add people to the tournament they're going to be added through the wait list
0: so i love the idea of you can't buy a pinbird ticket and then turn around and sell it who came up with that idea because you guys have been doing this for so long was that an issue in the beginning or
2: yeah. Actually, the, the, the biggest issue I remember having the first two years of Pinberg um, was people would grab a spot and then they would be emailing us the day before the tournament saying they couldn't make it and they wanted a refund. And the the biggest problem that that created was that, well, we would give you a refund. Sure, that's not a problem. But now we have holes in the in the tournament when we knew we also had a lot of demand for the tournament. So, like, we knew we could have filled those holes, but this person wasn't giving us enough time to fill that hole. Also, I mean, I specifically remember, not going to mention who it was, but there was a, a player who was coming from Europe who who called the PAPA facility the morning of Pinberg, saying he couldn't make it and wanted a refund, you know? And we're like, well, I would assume you knew this before this morning, being that you live in Europe. <laughs> but, so that's what ha- that's why the whole... Refund situation got put into place, and then as the demand grew to what it was, you know, with having that wait list in place, we didn't want to make it possible for people to skip around the wait list. It really wasn't so much about, you know, people making money off scalping tickets or anything like that. It was more, you know, here are the people that got in line, and we want to make sure they have the opportunity to get a ticket. And not just because they know somebody and we didn't want people just hoarding tickets because, you know, they would just give them out to whoever we wanted to make sure there was at least a process in place so that, you know, even if you missed out on tickets, if you went and jumped on the wait list, there's still a pretty good shot you're going to get in.
0: That's still awesome, though, because like prices nowadays for pinball and whatnot. I mean, obviously, you've seen they've went up just a little bit. So I <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't put it past anyone to buy up all the pinber tickets and say. Right now, if you want to get in,
1: <laughs>
2: yeah, like I will a, sell you a, ticket a rese-
1: reseller websites like they do for uh, you know concert tickets. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so, so, we've, in ahead. the
2: past, we we actually one year, uh, I want to say it was three or four years ago, we were doing a fundraiser for Path of Play, which is a charity that uh, Mike Primo uh, runs up in Canada, uh, deals with uh, helping autistic kids and their families through like playing board games and pinball and video games and that kind of stuff. But we actually auctioned off. Uh, a pair of tickets and I think they went for like $500 or something at the time. Like it, we all, it was all donated to charity and it was through us. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, if, if we left it open market, I'm sure people could market up secondhand and still sell it, you know, and more power to them if they do that. Like, but we just wanted to make sure we had a official process for which you had to go through. And we also want to make sure that people aren't being exploited Like the cost of the the event is this, and this is what we want you to pay to get in.
1: Right. And I think that's nice that it doesn't make it a, uh, it's not an exclusive, um, thing. It's like it, I, if you really want to, you can save up some money and you can pay for the ticket. It's not cost prohibitive. It may be easier for some people than others, but if you. Are a, it doesn't matter if you're a high income person or a low income person. If you really wanted to, you could budget for the uh, you know the hundred dollar uh, entry and the hundred twenty five ticket. You can do that, and it, you're not going to be limiting it to just people who have uh, higher paying jobs. And so I really like that.
2: Yeah, and I mean that's obviously part of the part of the discussion about you know going back to making it a tournament for everybody as opposed to a tournament for few people. Is you also have to balance, you try and balance the need between demand and making it uh, unobtainable for people to be able to afford to come do it. Because, you know, honestly, and we've had these discussions, could we charge $250 for just a Pinberg ticket? Probably. And we probably sell a lot of them. But it's not really something that that we want to do. You know, we want to make sure it's attainable for most people that want to come and experience this at least once. Uh, to to the other side of that, we've actually had conversations about um, if we could find bigger and bigger sponsors for it, being able to cut the price to make it less to get in. If we could like find sponsors to help, you know, repopulate the prize pool with money that we would be losing because of that. That hasn't happened, of course, but we well, can not, we can always dream.
1: Not yet. Okay. There's two things I really want you to do though is I want you to tell uh, when the tournament is going to be next year, so people can start looking at their calendar. And another thing I want you to talk about is, considering this was a this was a big decision, um, there's a lot of uh, financial fallout and ramifications, uh, but there should be ways that people, uh, merchandise or things that they can buy to help offset this, because it's not like you guys are making money this year. And so could you cover the, both of those things?
2: Sure. Um, the uh, The dates for next year, first of all, are August 12th through 15th. Uh, 2021 of course um the reason those dates were picked was basically because the convention center because so many dates have been pushed to next year they had a very small selection for mark to be able to choose from so it's later in the year than it it's usually around the last weekend in july to the first weekend in august it's later than it's ever been on its current schedule but that's why it is the august 12th through 15th um if you want to support the replay foundation outside of that uh honestly, one of the biggest things you could do is if you don't have your ticket just to get into the show for next year, go buy that now. You can go buy that now, you know, the, the cost is uh I think it's $100 for a 4-day pass. Um and that obviously helps us out greatly. We also have an online store at replayfx.org if you want to go and buy a t-shirt or something like that if you're if you have the ability to do that right now and you you want to support the Replay Foundation, go buy a t-shirt, go buy a ticket to the show. Um, those are really easy ways that, you know, and you can still get a little bit of something back. Um, other passive ways you can support our foundation. Let's say you're, you're not in the position to, you know, spend any money right now, which I know there are a lot of people that are probably in that position. Go to YouTube, watch some of our videos. We get a little bit of income from every time somebody watches a video. Uh, we also have a, twitch stream Papa tv pinball uh every tuesday night we're actually right now we're showing replays but a lot of our gang is in there uh chatting up with viewers because right now we can't go into our warehouse uh and film new stuff but there's those are two ways that you can also help the replay foundation without actually spending any of your money
0: well those videos i mean are fantastic like That is how I found a better appreciation and love for this hobby. It's through Bo and Karen's doing tutorials for pinball machines that I was playing on the pinball arcade on my phone. And so it was awesome to type in. It was like, well, you know, I want to see the getaway. And wow, there's a video for it, you know. And so I encourage anyone, if you want to learn more about a pinball machine or see some wonderful exploits, one of my favorite is the shadow. When uh Bowen starts blowing it up by the the left orbit to the the inner loop, yes. he just oh, is hilarious watching it. Where are all these points coming from? Holy cow! <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Bowen and awesome. Mark
2: basically did uh, collaborated on the tutorial things. It was actually Mark uh, Steinman's idea. To create, we also have a huge database of gameplay videos, which are just literally a top down shot of somebody playing a game. And the reason that those started was because when we started doing our YouTube stuff and we started uh, filming games, there wasn't a lot out there. Like, if you wanted to watch some obscure game, or or maybe, you know, you saw a game for sale on Mr. Pinball Classifieds, and but you'd never seen it before, and you didn't know if it was any good, we wanted to provide kind of a reference. Like, you could do a search on YouTube, and here's a video of somebody playing it. And then, of course, Bones' tutorials are fantastic. Like, he's... he's uh, Literally, I couldn't think of anyone better to do those because it's entertaining. He's funny. And obviously, he knows a lot about the games. Unfortunately, those are also on hold being filmed right now because of everything going on. But uh, our Papa TV producer, James Coons, actually has some ideas first to add a a few bells and whistles to the upcoming ones once we can start filming them again.
0: Okay. I'm going to do a confessional right now. And I'm going to find this, I hope you find this hilarious. So, I ran into a neighbor that owned a Ripley's Believe It or Not. And I'd watched tons of the uh, the tutorial videos with Bowen. Well, I look up, and you guys have one for Ripley's Believe It or Not. And I'm like, sweet. So I start watching it, and it's not Bowen. And I'm like, who the crap is this guy? And it's Keith Elwin. And I'm just like, man, this guy doesn't... I, I don't know who he is. Um, he, He's kind of bland doing this video. Like, he's no Bowen. Like, it's so funny to look back now and be like... Oh my goodness, that was Keith Owen. <laughs> but back then, I'm like, who the crap is this guy? Like,
1: who do who does he think he is? You know? <laughs> okay. Well, and is Keith really good at pinball? I'm not really sure. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I just I don't know. I never heard of the guy before. No. Yeah. But I'll, and there's there's lots of that stuff out there now. So that's kind of what's great about it, right? It's like there's so many people that do streaming, and there's so many people that that stream tournaments, and there's people that make their own. You know, rule rule video breakdowns and stuff like it's a it's a completely different world from when, you know, 10 years ago when we started doing this stuff to like you can find, you know, you can almost type in any pinball machine name into the YouTube search and find some kind of video about it, which is which is awesome.
0: Yep. It is totally awesome. No. The only the only video I have not liked, and this is, has nothing to do with you guys, is uh the amazing Spider-Man by Gottlieb. I, that was my, one of my first pinball machines. I started watching that video and you the whole video is just tap passing. It's just, you know, doing the passes back and forth up to the alleys. I'm like, what the crap is this? What? what I can't do that.
1: This video is pointless <laughs> to me.
2: <laughs> it's the dumbest video ever.
1: <laughs> uh, I So I want to talk a little more about the tech support you guys have. You are. Obviously, you know how to have a machine that is well-run and well-tuned in. And uh, tell me a little bit, is it possible for you guys to start? uh, This is my big uh, bandwagon that I'm trying to get uh, people on board to be able to have like a library, at least a searchable library of, oh, you know what? If you're getting into pinball and you've never taken the glass off and you've never uh, gone underneath the hood, these are the top five things you need to start with. So this is... Uh, level one type of maintenance stuff. Well, here's level two. Well, here's maybe a level 10 that you, so you want to know the other stuff. Have you considered trying to do that and maybe recording some of those things so people can start maintaining their own games?
2: So actually that ties in a little bit with the logistics of what it takes to run Pinberg. So a few years ago, uh, as we expanded Pinberg, we realized we were running out of techs that we could get to volunteer to tech Pinberg. Uh, and, uh, Goldman, who's one of the people that helps out with the show, uh, came up with the idea of running basically tech classes and the idea behind the tech classes, we're going to invite people into Papa. You're going to be taught by, you know, our technicians or, you know, somebody who's really skilled. There's a lot of collectors in the Pittsburgh area as well. They're going to teach you, you know, the basics and then even got into some more advanced things about doing. Uh, pinball repair so we would have classes where you could sign up and you could come in and you could take the classes uh, and we created a bunch of new techs out of it which is awesome. Uh, I know last year that uh, that group started filming some of their work Um, it's we haven't really followed up on it since then I know that the long term plan is to basically create a video library of basic pinball repair um obviously with everything going on now there's not much there's not much we're doing in the manner of filming but uh, as we refine the curriculum for the tech classes uh part of part of doing that is to boil it down to what are the essential things we need to know to put put together a video on how to rebuild, you know, WPC flippers or, you know, even something as simple as how do I clean and wax my pinball machine? So that stuff is on our roadmap to create. Uh, And I know there's other people out there doing some stuff like that. Like I I know that Marco has recently started putting out some, some repair videos. Uh, But the idea behind ours we're going to be trying to focus on a specific task, as opposed to let's dive into this pinball machine and see what's broke. So it's on the roadmap. I don't really have a time frame for when that's going to occur, though. Well,
0: that's still a good idea, though, because like when I first got my Amazing Spider-Man from Gottlieb, and I'm trying to find videos of you know repair stuff, there was one that kept reoccurring that I kept finding was is most of those Gottliebs had a grounding issue, and so um, it was hard because a lot of other people had different ways to do the grounding issue you know do it this way or do it that way and so it's a good idea especially for those older machines that have specific issues to that machine that you just go and make that video and say hey this is how you do it call it good you know
2: yeah and and the danger if this stuff isn't recorded and preserved is that it gets forgotten right because i mean just facts being facts, even with us being in, you know, another golden age of pinball right now, there's not as many techs as there was even 20 years ago that can actually jump into any kind of machine and fix anything. Uh, and our head tech at Papa name is named Steve Eckert. Uh, he's a, he's a legend amongst us uh, and he should be a legend to everybody. Uh, he actually came from, he worked for a large distributor called Betson and they had games on route. And that's where his experience came from. And, every time I talked to that man, I learned something new about fixing a machine. Uh, And he's, he's the guy that we leaned on for years and years and years. Like even with my own games, like something would, would not be working right. And I'd go to him and I'd say, you know, this is doing this. And he'd be like, well, did you check this, 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 and this. And he would rattle off like four game specific things on that machine that you specifically have to do because he's been doing it for so long. He's got all that knowledge locked up. So, you know, he's one of the people that we had, you know, going to help us do the uh, pinball tech classes and uh, hopefully we'll be able to get some of that type of knowledge recorded for posterity, because in some cases, once some of that stuff's gone, it's just going to be gone, you know, and people are just going to have to find it out for themselves.
1: Yeah, it seems a little bit like uh, Zach Sharp had talked about uh, the tribal knowledge of pinball in Chicago, and I would imagine the same thing. There's a tribal knowledge knowledge. On the tech support side that you just get through experience and unless there's a way that we can pass that on to uh, the current generation or future generations, it's just going to go into the ether.
2: Yeah, and I think we all want, you know, I've gone from, I remember when I first got into pinball, I didn't like to even consider playing older games. Oh, you want to play that em like really like okay you know there's a twilight zone over there why don't we go play twilight zone instead because I didn't appreciate what those games had to offer now i've kind of 180 and my personal preference when i walk in somewhere is usually oh let's play you know let's go play target Pull, or let's play alien star or let's play cosmic gunfight uh, as opposed to let's play attack from mars or twilight zone not that they're not good games but like it's just a different experience and it's you know i've I personally have gained a lot of appreciation for those since I started in the hobby. And I, I, I think that's almost the arc that most new collectors take as well, as I talk to people. you know, They only want to play the newest game, the newest game, the newest game. But then as people convince them to play some of the older games, they realize that there's there's a lot of fun to be had in some of the simplistic natures of it. And like honestly, quicker ball time sometimes can be a lot more fun than having to wait 20 minutes for your friend to finish his ball on Lord of the Rings before you get to play again.
0: It is funny how that works, too. It's like, I, I swear, everyone that gets into the hobby always finds the ballets first. The 90s games, or they find new Stearns. Deadpool, uh, Jurassic Park, whatever it may be. And that's the hot stuff, man. You can't convince them otherwise. Like, this is the coolest thing ever. And then as they start developing it, or you know, getting deeper into the hobby, it's like they start reverting back to those older games. They start finding the early sterns that have been... Overinflated by certain podcasters. Sorry, I just had to say that. <laughs> <laughs> but and then even those early ballys. I mean, there's something about Eight Ball Deluxe, and it's like most people would hate that game from the beginning because it's like you're you're shooting a drain monster. But once you start learning those flipper skills, and once you start um, figuring out how to how to nudge and stuff like that, games like those older games are just fun to do because. It, it's it's almost like an adventure like I, I get all the new games are like an adventure and an immersion and world under glass blah 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 but those older games there's just something about the environment it's just it draws you in and it's just a little it makes the simplicity but it's it's wonderful
2: and it, it to me too and i've used this one talking to other people the older games and i'm by the way, this is not a rant on newer games sucking. I love a lot of the newer stuff that's come out. And totally I'm definitely, definitely a huge fan of the 90s Bally Williams stuff because that was the stuff that was available to play when I was growing up. Uh, for me, the older games seem a little bit more personal. Um, as a collector, when I was specifically collecting, like I was, I'm was, i one of the people that when I go buy a game, if it has initials carved into the head of it, like it makes it more valuable to me. Because I like the history. I like the fact that this thing has battle scars from being on route. And then, you know, how many people played this game in some smoky bar or some arcade somewhere. And, like, that stuff is just, like, like you can't replicate that. You know, a perfectly restored machine has its own, you know, its own place and its own, you know. Space in the hobby. I'd lo- I love older games that are just you know have a little bit of wear. You've got a little bit of wear around the inserts, and it's just because you know th- over the life of this game, this shot has been somebody's hit that orbit ten thousand times. You know, and those older games they just seem more personal to me than than the newer games do. Oh yeah, if if that makes sense.
0: <laughs> yes, it does. To me, it does. Yes.
2: I,
1: I think there there seems to be a less barrier to entry, too. If you see some strange game that you haven't seen that was from the 70s or 60s, you can go up and you, you can actually understand it quickly. And so there's a, a steeper learning curve in that you get competent faster at these older games. Uh, but that doesn't make them less challenging. In many ways, it's the same thing as the video games that I grew up. There's a reason why the Nintendo games that I had growing up they really weren't that deep, but they were super hard. So you still did the same level over and over again because you had to do it perfectly. Now, um, those games, you couldn't do the same thing with modern games because people want different things, but there is some sort of appreciation for the older ones. I, I totally get what you're saying.
0: So you're telling me that, uh, the Beatles isn't making millions of dollars right now off of their pinball machine. What are you trying to say, Scott? <laughs> I,
1: hey, I, I am on the record in saying that I would take a Beatles today, because I think it's a great layout, and I actually love uh, every time I've played the the Beatles, I love it, and so it, I think it got a bad a bad rap just because it was the extra markup for the uh, for the license, but um, I haven't seen any Yeah, the game who,
2: the game itself the game
1: is, is great, really
2: really fun to play. Obviously, it's a it's a proven layout too and the changes they made to the layout make the game better and then that that game's a, a lot of fun and you're, you're right when you say i think you know in the collector community at least it got a bad rap because it was expensive you know and i'm sure there's a reason for that i you know for what you know people can afford what they can afford um hopefully nobody's buying something they can't afford but you know, I don't think necessarily a price is a reason to dislike a game. I didn't buy one. I have a route, and I didn't buy one because I thought it was too much uh, for what I was gonna get back when I looked at it at a from a business perspective issue. But whenever I see one, I'm gonna play I'm gonna play it. I think it's a lot of fun.
0: Well, what's interesting too, i I decided to go look the price of one of these up this last week, and those uh, gold editions, so essentially the the base one, they're in that five to six thousand for the resale of the used value. And I find it interesting. That you know, everyone complains about price and whatnot, and I I don't think that's a bad price at all. If, if I could find one for fifty two or fifty three, like it says on Pinside, which you know Pinside's gospel, um, I, I it would be hard to turn
1: one down. It's a fantastic game, it really is. Yeah, if someone if someone wants to sell it, contact me. Uh, we'll ship it out. Good uh, good price and uh you know a a nicely loved. I'm actually. Yeah, I I really am in the market for looking for a Beetle, so it looks great.
0: He's a big Yoko Ono fan. Oh,
2: (laughs) jeez. She's not in the game. She's not in the game. I hate to disappoint you.
1: She's there in spirit, okay? (laughs) In that two of them are dead. Yes, I got it.
0: (laughs) Oh, I apologize. So, so, Doug, you've got to tell me, you know, you got into this back in the 90s just as a recreational player, and started enjoying the hobby. How did you go from that to overseeing and helping with one of the biggest pinball tournaments in the world?
2: Uh, so I'll condense my journey down as as quickly as possible, because I'm sure a lot of people have similar stories. Nineties, uh, you know, played in the arcades, fell in love with pinball then. And then it was all about, you know, going off to school and starting a career and doing all that stuff. So pinball didn't exist. Uh, And then it was actually a local player. His name's Al Tomka. Um, We were actually playing poker at the time, going around and playing poker a lot. And I went to pick him up or meet him at his house. And he had games in his basement. He had pinballs in his basement. And I was like, oh, my God, like, you got pinball machines in your basement? Like, I think he had the getaway and Twilight Zone and like games that I remembered playing and i was like this is like the most amazing thing ever and he's like oh yeah you can buy these and i'm like where can you buy this stuff like and this was before the days of you know you being able to walk into a distributor and get get a pin um, and he knew some people and he knew some ops in in the area and he actually helped me buy my first pin which was a Jurassic Park, a Data East Jurassic Park, which I bought for $600 um, because stuff was cheap back then. Holy crap. Um, <laughs> because nobody wanted them. I mean, it wasn't a big deal to be collecting pins because people weren't really collecting them, but on a really small group of people. And from there, you know, I acquired acquired some more games uh he eventually said hey you should come out and play in some tournaments the the you know one of the world's biggest tournaments actually in pittsburgh and i was like no way uh the first pop i went to i didn't play i just walked around the facility for three days and played every game they had because we had they had like 400 games there and then after that i I started playing but i wasn't i never really got into like the hyper competitive stuff um just because like for, for me, personally, I'm I'm a, a sore loser, and I know that, and I, I'm very hard on myself when I lose, so I only want to play if it's in a super casual setting, so I kind of stepped back from that, and I started volunteering there, I volunteered as a tech for a few years, and then uh, that's about when Mark Steinman took over as director, and then he asked me if I wanted to come on and help run the events, and I was like, heck yeah, so started yeah. doing that. And then I, I had put a couple games on location, like I said, and uh, one of the local bar owners had asked me about that. So I started doing that as well because uh, that was also I was one of the people to help start the Pittsburgh Pinball League. Um, and we were running out of places to actually play because we played on location and just being able to put some more games around the city made made it so that we could play some more and and grow our league. I remember like the first or second year of our league we had like seven people and now we're consistently over like 100 150 people every year. So that's kind of awesome as well. So what game is your go-to game right now? Uh my favorite game right now at this very moment. Yeah. Uh Jurassic Parks probably the game I like to play more than any of of the new games. Um my go-to for all time though is Target Pool which is an old Gottlieb Wedgehead that I found, you know, I won't say I found it, but I I found the enjoyability in playing it years and years ago. Uh, And basically that rose about, because when when you're down at Papa and you're getting ready for an event, uh, you know, you're moving stuff around, you're working really hard for a couple hours, and then you'll take a quick break to play a game. You don't normally jump onto a new game. You'll jump onto an old game because you you, want to play something and then get back to what you were doing. Uh, so that's when I found target pool and it's just, it's a super basic game. It's got the, the smaller flippers on it. Uh, I have a ton of fun of playing that game. It's great to play against other people. You can explain the rules to somebody in 20 seconds, uh, and then just go from there. Um, that's, that will forever always be my go-to game whenever I want to play a game.
1: And so now the price of target pool just went up by about we, uh, 300 bucks.
2: We ruined that years <laughs> ago for that game.
1: That's hilarious. There,
2: there, was, there was a year when we first started the Papa Circuit where we, where we literally drug that game around to every tournament because we used to go to most of the tournaments to either help stream them or help run them. And we would literally drag that game with us everywhere we want. And we would be like, well, we brought a target pool for your tournament. And we made sure it was in like every event.
0: Speaking of your one, your go-to games, Jurassic Park, um, Keith, with these wonderful ideas of the mini mode that he's put in there, do you foresee maybe Pemberg or Papa adopting some kind of new tournament based off of this timed five minute or less tournament style that or mode that he has done?
2: Oh, I I absolutely i think that could happen uh we used to run we called them mini tournaments back in you know the papa days where we would do like split flipper or there was some really unique ones that people had created there um like we had a world cup soccer one where we we hooked up the flipper buttons to two soccer balls and you would kick these soccer balls to make the flippers go um and so, you know something like the speed runs that are in like uh tna and stuff like that i think that you know people could absolutely turn those into tournaments i don't see a reason why not like i don't think there should be you know and the ifpa is the arbiter of if you get whopper points or not but it doesn't mean you can't run a tournament that's not ifpa sanctioned and it will be fun like like something that people run a lot of times now you see is that stall ball format which is basically just get a bunch of people together. And when you shoot something that holds the ball, you just switch players. And if the yeah. ball drains on you, you're out. Like something like that is a lot of fun. Like I don't see that ever being on a, you know, a thousand person tournament, but like playing competitive pinball is inclusive of everything from Pinberg to just playing against your friend.
0: That you would be I mean? hilarious. I, that would be hilarious to have a stall ball on the stage at Pinberg. You got yes, one guy just in yeah, line. Just,
2: it'd be <laughs> hilarious. All right. Well, if you want to organize it, I, I, we can make it happen.
1: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that'll be the Sunday afternoon when they're turning off the lights.
2: <laughs> that should only take five days to run. Yep.
1: Now, it, when you guys move games, you don't take the legs off, right? You just... You, they're already set up and you just lift them up and move them in, right?
2: Yeah. So for for pinberg when we move games we actually because there's so much to move we hire a local moving company that we have a contract with and they basically wheel them on the truck um cover them with moving blankets strap them in and then bring them to the convention center where we pull them off and then we drop them into place wherever they go on the floor and 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 get them leveled it is not the way i would ever recommend anybody move a game However, I don't think we could do what we do if we had to take the legs off of every single machine. Like personally, for, for collectors, take the legs off your games, fold it up, strap it down. Like I don't move any of my games like that, so right. I wouldn't recommend that.
1: What, do you have any games in your house right now?
2: Uh, I don't have a game in my house. However, there's an Attack from Mars in my car. <laughs> I just haven't brought it inside yet.
1: Is it set up?
2: Uh, it's, it's not set up in my car. You can't play it's it actually, in your car? it's actually a sad story because one of my locations is closing down because of the, uh, uh the, yeah. the, the pandemic. And he's like, Hey man, uh, you know, you gotta come get this. Cause we're not, we're not going to continue to, uh, operate our business anymore. Um, so I went and got it and it's, it's sitting in the back of my car. I actually want to bring it in the house. I just have not done it yet.
1: That, that's certainly heartbreaking. I, I know a lot of people who are really hurting with this and and just a reminder, uh, seriously, if you, if it isn't within your means, go and sign up for, uh, the Pinberg ticket. Uh, I just got on the waiting list myself. I was able to log on and do it and, uh, buy your ticket for next year if you can do it and also, uh, buy some, buy some swag.
2: Yeah. And even more like locally, like even if, you know, you don't care about the replay foundation or competitive pinball or anything if there's an arcade or a barcade in your area that's currently shut down because of you know everything that's going on contact them and see if you can buy a t-shirt off of them or a gift card or anything like that because you know you may not think your 20 bucks is going to help them very much but you know when it comes down to can i pay the electric bill this month when i've got no no business coming in like just just beyond even the money coming in just the the physical fact of that hey look here's somebody who took time out of their day and you know called me and said hey can i buy a gift card can i buy a t-shirt can i buy something like that like that actually helps you know give people confidence that when they can finally open their business up you know people are going to come and, and fill it up again
0: well and and let's not sugarcoat it i mean I, we were talking to a couple different people today and we won't say their business you know but they are arcades and they're in fear of shutting down they 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 can't hold out much longer. And so please, please reach out to your local arcade, to the the local operator or whatnot, you know, some of the operators in a little bit better position than others, but you know, if we want to see pinball keep going in the future, we need to support them now at this time of need.
2: Yeah. You're good. We're going to lose some locations through this and every location lost, believe it or not. I know like even in, even in, uh, Pittsburgh and I know some cities there are locations that people won't visit because oh that operator doesn't keep their games up or whatever and you know what once again we're kind of living in a golden age of pinball a lot of people at least if you're in a major city you have a good place to go play well maintained games when I started playing on route you know you got what you got so like we would walk up to a game and if half the lights were out you know you still played it because that was pinball and while I don't want to say you know reward people for not taking care of their machines like you know any game out in the wild that works and people can at least see it to know that pinball still exists and it's still a thing that you can do that could lead people to you know your local pinball league or the barcade that actually takes care of their machines or maybe even into competitive pinball or your local gaming show or whatever like those people you want to bring into your community you know it's not you know if you don't want to go there and play it's one thing but just having having a game sitting in a location that the public can see it and potentially play it and access it just lets people know that this is out there absolutely i
0: totally agree i, I mean i've heard these horror stories where people are like well they never take care of the machine so i went and bought a bunch of you know washers from the local hardware stores shoved them in the coin mech so no one could play it. it's like dude yeah. like <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that. Why? Like, I get that your whirlwind, the discs aren't spinning or, you know, the flipper is missing a rubber. So what? Like, let them play.
2: So, yeah. Uh. Let, me, let me tell you the best thing you can do in that situation. But from my my personal perspective, like I said, when we started the PPL, uh, it was super small and there weren't a lot of games on location. So what we would do is when we would go play those games for League, we would write up a list of the things that were wrong with them. We would give them to the bartender or the person that owned that that establishment. And we would also tell them, hey, look, there's 14 of us here right now that want to play this game and we're going to keep coming here and we want to keep playing this game. Here's a list of things that we would like to see get fixed on this game. Or if you guys can get a new game, that'd be awesome. Because in a lot of bars and stuff, if they're not you know, geared towards being a pinball bar or something like that, like that's just another entertainment option. And the owner doesn't know any more than the cut he gets from the machine if that game is playing right you know as if you're a pinball enthusiast you know take it upon yourself to try and educate them you know say hey look this is we we are coming here as a group to play this game and eat your food and drink your beer and spend money in this establishment because you have pinball here we just want to see this machine maintain better and we had a, you know, early on, we had a lot of success with that. Like I said, there weren't a lot of good locations in Pittsburgh. There were just bars with one or two games. And we would come in and we would bring a group of people because we were playing as a league and we would make the list and then we would hand it to the bartender or talk to the owner. And a lot of times with it, by the next week when we got out there, those issues were addressed because if they know that people are coming in to support their business because of pinball, they're going to make sure that pinball is is set up the way that it's going to keep that business coming in.
0: Well, and oftentimes these operators, they they don't stop to check because they're there to pick up quarters. They might flip a little bit, but I mean, I've operated pinball machines myself a little bit, and you just don't know. If the lights are on and there's quarters in the bucket, you assume the game's working.
2: And so, yeah, and e- even nowadays when pinball's experiencing a resurgence, they're making way more money off that jukebox that's sitting on the wall than they are off of that pinball machine. Yep. So, like... As somebody who would be concerned about the business of doing that, you know, the the jukebox not working is a big concern because it brings in seven hundred dollars a week. The pinball machine that brings in fifty, well, it's just not as big a concern because, you know, it's just not bringing in that much money. I only route pinball machines, so we're really focused on trying to keep those up and playing well. But we also rely on our local community to tell us when something's broken, because, like you said, you know, the owner doesn't necessarily know what's going on, you know, unless somebody tells him. So we we try and, you know, communicate with the league and communicate with everybody. So when something's wrong, they'll let us know because I'm not in every establishment every week checking to see if everything's working right. But if someone messages me and says, hey, you know, the slingshot stopped firing on this game, we'll make, make it a point to get in there and get it fixed.
0: Well, and I'll give you a perfect example if I can, just, just two seconds. I've got a buddy that comes out. He he routes pinball machines in my area, but it's, a, it's like a two and a half hour drive to get out here. And he has a creature from the Black Lagoon. And the game plays perfectly up until you get into multiball. And as soon as you start multiball, the whole game just goes dead. And then you've got to turn it off and turn it back on. And you've lost your game. You're frustrated because you just got to multi multiball, but you can't play it. Operators aren't going to sit around for 10, 15 minutes to get to multiball to figure that out. So no. just please let, let someone know. I, I'm good friends with him, so I have his phone number. So I just text him. Hey get this taken care of, dude. You're not going to make any more money off this machine. So.
1: Well, it's also when, when you are vocal about, Hey, I like this about the bar or the, or wherever it is, the bowling alley, people will say, huh, people are here because they are, they're here. They may not be making as much money on the pinball machine, but guess what? They're selling food, they're selling drinks and people are coming through the door that you wouldn't have otherwise.
2: Yeah, I mean, almost every time we put a game somewhere, it's all about, you know, the pinball machine is not going to, you know, I'm not, you're not going to put a pinball machine in the corner of your bar and all of a sudden I'm giving you $2,000 a month as you're cut from having that pinball machine there. You're going to see a growth as a business because that pinball machine will keep people in here for longer And while they're there, they're going to be buying food and they're going to be buying drinks and they're going to be buying other things. They're going to be spending more time in your establishment because it's there. And I mean, that's the same way with most of the entertainment devices nowadays, like the dartboards and stuff like that. Like most places, those aren't bringing in money. But if there's a league or there's organized play or something, then, you know, it's just those people are spending more time in your establishment, which means they're probably going to spend more money. Well,
1: Doug, are there any other topics that you'd like to address?
2: Uh, I want to hear more about you putting your foot through the floor of a trailer. Oh, geez. Um, okay. So <laughs> no, you don't have to go into that. If you no, want to.
1: I'll, I'll tell you, we actually, this is, this is a good deed that goes uh, that uh, the universe has a sense of humor. Um, we, I had this awesome lightning McQueen bed. I, I wish it were king size. Cause then I would have it, but it was, <laughs> it was twin size and it was really awesome. Well, My wife decided that um, my son, who is nine, has that bed. And my other son, who is six, was also in my daughter's room, who is five. Well, he wanted to move over there a few years ago because uh, a little closer in age, they, you know, they would chit chat and play. Um, And so we moved his it was a crib, but we converted it to a day bed. We moved it into her room. But now they've all grown and he wants to go back and to have the boys room. So we were we couldn't keep the lightning queen bed because now we have to have two beds in there. So we had to get some uh, some bunk beds. So this was her thing that was like, oh, no, but it's time to move. And I don't know. I wasn't really on board because I I kind of like the bed. I kind of wished I could have it. But we did find a friend who it's one of our friends, our neighbors who she found and were able to give this bed away. And by the way, this thing is like a tank. If you put an engine in it, you could drive it down the road. Um, And it had an awesome trundle bed too. But since it's so heavy, we had to break it apart. But as I was loading it onto their flatbed trailer, it was one of those old ones that had uh, a wood floor But you know, those trailers, there's like a few that usually have some rotted areas or maybe some holes that they know about because they've used it forever. But since they actually, uh, you know, and I had noticed it there, but I didn't really think much about it. When I was moving that up, I stepped on it. And thankfully it was big enough that my foot just went straight down through, but I didn't twist or anything, but it wedged around my thigh because I've got I've got linebacker thighs. So it's actually really good. Cause if it was, if, if my legs were smaller, uh, I probably would be singing soprano. Cause that would just would have gone straight up. Um, but it, so my, my leg fell down straight and just wedged around my thigh. And we had to get some of those flexible cutting boards. So I had to shove them in there so I could get my leg out because it was stuck in there. Cause when we tried to pull, it was like the Chinese finger, tra- finger traps. And, <laughs> And so like I'm sitting out there and but okay, uh, my day job is I work at a hospital and we work with trauma all the time. And so I was thinking, you know, I could have broken my femur. I could have really screwed up my knee and I really could have broken my leg. And so of all things, I'm actually really lucky that I just got a really bad bruise and uh, maybe uh, scraped up my uh, ligaments or tendons a little bit. But I didn't tear anything. So. Um, that, that was actually a good thing, but still, it was like, uh, we gave away this bed and I also got a huge leg injury from it.
2: Well, I'm glad you're okay. I'm glad there's no permanent damage.
1: Yeah. Just my pride. And, uh, yeah, but uh, you got a good
2: story out of it though. Uh,
1: it's actually Life crazy. Experience. If you look at the, uh, um, if you look at my Facebook update about two weeks ago, it looks like my leg was attacked by zombies. I, it, it, it is <laughs> I'm not kidding. I have, I have a bruise from about, um, you know, where, well, about four inches below your crotch all the way down to your calf. That is the bruise. And it it really does look like my legs about to go gangrenous and fall off.
2: Well, I'm glad it's not.
1: I know. Right. It's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh,
2: adventures in Scott's life. It's all. I know. I know. know. Oh yeah. I just looked it up. It looks like you got attacked by a shark.
1: I know, right? But did you okay, <laughs> scroll scroll all the way down? And if you scroll all the way down, you can actually see an update from today. Cause I, I, cause I was getting a wart cut off the bottom of my foot, a plantar wart. This is, this is like old person fun stuff where, you know, that, that's <laughs> what we do. It's like, so that's I exactly went my... why
2: everybody tunes in. I know, away. right? Yeah.
1: And so, but if you look at the last picture, I took that today cause my leg was up there and I'm like, oh, I'll show a picture, but it, it looks like it's actually healing pretty well. So I feel pretty lucky.
2: Well, I'm glad you're recovering.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, it, seriously, it, it would make my job horrible because I cannot do my job if I were in uh, a crazy splint or a crazy like uh, external fix, fixator because that's usually what happens if you really screw your leg up and you can't fix the bone that day. That's uh, the worst.
0: Oh my goodness. Well, I got to I gotta bring up one thing because this is my shtick and, and everyone's, I'm not going to talk about
1: turtles. We're not going to do the it's Aquabats. My- okay. I'm sorry. Just yes. Not. We're going to. Okay. Doug,
0: you've got to tell me you, everyone doesn't believe me, but well, not everyone just Scott and Dennis Creasel, but and Keith, Ellen. <laughs> would you, well, Keith, Ellen doesn't know who they are. So I'll, I'll give him a pass. So I, Hey, okay. <laughs> Dang it. You've, you've now got my train of thought off on something. I'm like, let's not do laundry. Day, let's do the Aquabats. Anywho. <laughs> <laughs> doug do you think an aquabats pinball machine would sell
2: it would sell to a very small number of people yes <laughs> as, so as as a general uh mainstream theme probably not a good idea but uh there would be there would be a segment of the population that would pay for that
0: so you're del- you're telling me we should do it like beatles numbers uh four. you know you can like 1900 <laughs> of them <laughs> We saw them at a pro price. I think it's a win-win. Come on, yeah. I so mean, wait.
2: you might need to do you might need to do spooky pinball numbers. I think <laughs> oh, even man. Beatles numbers might be too high for that one. Oh, wait, oh, how
1: that many works. are in the band? Because you could at least sell it to each band member and their mom. Okay,
0: hold on. The current band members, or how many's been in their whole band? Uh,
1: well, the people who are still with the band that haven't moved on.
0: Because I was going to say originally it's a joke. They started out with
1: fourteen people in their band. Okay, well, you started <laughs> with the joke, and so if you did a pinball machine, that would be a joke.
2: No. I'm in I'm in for the Aquabats Pinball Machine though. <laughs> you know the, what? Depending on pricing, I'm in.
1: If you put that on stage at Pinburg, that the 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 rarity and the demand for it will go through the roof.
2: I mean, yeah, I mean if, if anybody wants to sell a pinball machine, let me know. We'll, <laughs> we'll find a way to promote it at Pinburg.
0: Well, awesome, Doug. We appreciate you coming on. We, you know, there's been a lot of speculation or not. So we we appreciate you coming on and kind of giving us a better idea of what's going on with Pinburg and Papa and all that jazz. Um, yeah, man, this is this has been awesome. You're welcome on the show anytime.
2: You, well, you, thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. So. W- wish you all the luck in Pinburg. And again, uh, a plug for supporting your local people. They are hurting. Uh, support your. Uh, local, uh, your, your local event, uh, whatever that's going to be and just see if you can uh, pre-purchase or you can purchase swag, you can get on Pinberg and uh, certainly uh, just uh, again, check out the friends of the show, check out uh, Flipping Out Pinball for all your pinball needs, uh, they got good prices on all of the uh, releases and also check out Lit Frames if you're looking for uh, getting a way of uh, blingifying your uh, your arcade man
0: well, and I want to do a couple more shout outs, too, while you're at it. Uh, thanks, Zach Manny and Dennis Creasel for talking us up two episodes ago about our sharp interviews. It was awesome. Uh, I, I know Scott felt a little awkward being called sexy so many times. But, hey, I appreciate it. I, I, I don't mind that. I, and then <laughs> uh, also Pinball Profile, uh, if you haven't listened to their most recent episode or sorry, not the most recent. So. I want to tell a really funny story really quick. Zach told us we should get his mom on for like, not make it a trifecta. We should go for the four. <laughs> and Jeff Teals had reached out to us like a week, or like a week before he's like, just let you know, guys for mother's day, I'm having mama sharp on. And so was, I'm like, sure, Zach, well, I, I'll see what we can do. <laughs> like, I'm not going to take that away from Jeff, but Jeff, it was awesome listening uh, to that episode. And thanks for having us on. Uh, also final round pinball. They gave us a shout-out. Thanks, Martin. Thanks, Jeff Tielis. You guys are awesome. That was fantastic. If you haven't listened to that episode, make sure the kids aren't around and make sure you don't have speakers on at work because uh, it's definitely explicit. I don't know what else to call it. But. And then Super Awesome Pinball Show. Christian, dude, you're the man. It was awesome. We're glad that you're enjoying the stuff. That was all Scott's doing, though. <laughs> so...
1: Well, now Christian, uh, Christian, and uh, now Christian is Dr. Penn and his wife is Mrs. Penn. So check out her uh, podcast too. But yes, uh, they actually sent me some swag too and sent me some stuff for my wife, which was really awesome. So um, yes, it's all good in the pinball community. So, well, and they were on that recent episode of final round. Did you listen to that Scott or Doug? I I haven't had, I've been home with my kids. And so unless I'm walking around the earmuffs, I can't listen to it with the, the family around.
2: Yeah, I haven't listened to it yet either, but it's it's in my queue.
1: So it's I had a two hour drive. We we went I
0: did a heating air conditioning system two hours away. Anywho, it was just funny to listen to this episode because these guys, they're playing a drinking game as, as they're doing trivia, pinball trivia. And I'm sitting in the the van just going, it's this is the answer. Like Martin's like, what games give you? you know, award for death saving. I'm like Jurassic park, last action hero. And everyone's like, I don't know, but like, come on people. You're killing me. <laughs> but it was a great episode. Sorry. I get, I get a little enthusiastic when it comes to pinball trivia. So.
1: All right. Well, you, you would have won. You would have been the only one left. So. Well, and I'm like, why,
0: why didn't they invite us on? And then I realized, oh yeah, Scott and I don't drink.
1: <laughs> Go in there yeah. with
0: our cream soda or something like that. So,
1: if it were the caffeinated ones, I'd be uh, I'd be buzzing all night after that. So, that would be yeah. funny to have you on Red Bull, just oh, bouncing no, off the walls. My, my heart would get palpitations. It would be horrible. <laughs> anyway, thanks again. Check us out. We have a few uh, good interviews uh, lined up, and so we will try to get that out as soon as we can, uh, just so we can get everybody through this uh, coronavirus. Uh, sequesterization, and uh, play more pinball. Also, we are Loser Kid Pinball Podcast. Check, check us out at loser kid
0: pinball Podcast at gmail.com if you want to send us an email. If you want to hit us up on Facebook, you can either get a hold of Scott or me or maybe even Doug if he's a people person. I mean, he was, he was nice enough to, to talk to us, so
1: he might be nice enough to talk to you. And, and Doug, uh, if they want to get a hold of you, how can they get a hold of you or the Replay Foundation? <laughs>
2: Uh, there's, a, there's a contact us form if you just have a general replay foundation question uh, if you have a specific Doug question you need answered uh, anybody can reach out to me at doug at papa.org awesome
0: and then we're on Instagram too but honestly we just post like when our episode comes out So,
1: but yeah I think that does it for us, what about you Scott? I, I think that's it, my leg is feeling better and I'm still on the hunt for a Beatles machine a Jurassic Park and uh, apparently in Andromeda
0: Oh, and I might be selling Monster Bash soon. So if anyone's interested in Monster Bash, hit me up. All right. Thanks, Doug.
2: Thanks for having me on.
1: And sit down.